You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy! After 18 years of study and meditation, James Olson, our guest this hour, discovered a key that helps explain why some people are Democrats and others Republicans, why some support the notion of all of us co-arising and others support some of us rising at the expense of others. Just what does this have to do with the brain and which hemisphere is dominant in each person and culture? Everything. From lifestyle to politics and culture, right hemisphere folks tend to be inclusive, as most women are, and left hemisphere folks competitive, prone to war and violence. Brain lateralization, Olson shows us, needs to become not left or right, but whole brain. His book, The Whole Brain Path to Peace, explores how each person, how society and the world can find greater balance, harmony, and well-being. The Whole Brain Path to Peace, the role of left and right brain dominance in the polarization and reunification of America, is truly a breakthrough in understanding and remedying our world's greatest problem how we view ourselves, each other, and the world. With that said, it's a pleasure to have James join us this evening with his Origin Press 2011 release, The Whole Brain Path to Peace. James, thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's a, thank you for having me. Well, you know, I read your book, and I read thousands of books, and I have to say there aren't that many books, even though I interview the best of the best, that what is presented is new, new in such an integrative holistic manner, and I really congratulate you on having presented something that's both intuitive, creative, and scientific, really whole-brained. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm really honored. After after reading your bio and all that you've done, you know, I'm especially honored to hear that. Well, tell I did work really hard. It well, it's obvious. <laughs> well, 18 years is a long time to work on anything, and I'm sure your whole life was preparation for that 18-year specific study. Talk to our audience as you do your reader a little bit about what got you set on this path to, to looking oh. at the brain. I mean, you made a very oh. distinct decision that this was something you were going to study. Yes, I, I went to a weekend seminar uh, in which a neuroscientist from the University of Texas uh, mapped the brains of the participants and and told us whether we were right or left brain dominant and and how right or left brain dominant that is because that it is on a continuum and some of us are more left brain dominant than others and and I, I had always many times heard that the most important thing that we can know is to know ourselves and I thought what could be more important to know about ourselves than our brain because the brain it it, it makes the the decisions that chooses the beliefs that we use to make decisions there's kind of a feedback pattern there and if you're fed bad information to start with uh you can you can be really lost and and look at the truth and and think it's it's a lie so um Anyway, the, the the brain is is such an important organ. And well, anyway, I I saw my I ended up on the left end of this continuum uh, of the people in the workshop, and it, uh, this made me wonder how it made me how my how my perception of reality differed from the people on the other end of the continuum, and that's what really set me off uh, on trying to understand 
basically to trying to understand the holistic perspective, the the, the perspective of most women, uh, which we sometimes could call it, we could call it a feminine perspective, and it's the it, it's the divine feminine, the, the perspective of the divine feminine, and uh, it's just been a, a wonderful uh, and rewarding exercise. Well, and as you point out in your book, it's very clear. I mean, and all of us can examine our own lives or different stages of our lives. It's like my husband and I are both artists. And it really wasn't until I left and dropped out of college that I started to strongly develop my left hemisphere of analysis and particular study. Before that, everything was creative, other than sports, which certainly is both hemispheres, but there's a lot of aggression in that. Um, And that all of us may go through different phases. So why don't we talk a little bit about what the real specific delineation is, the differences between the right hemisphere, which tends to be, as you point out, feminine, intuitive, creative, and the left hemisphere, which tends to be scientific and particular. The right hemisphere, the the feminine hemisphere, is collective-oriented. It sees the the larger elements of reality. Science uh, uh, have have discovered this. There There is a difference in the the size of the the focus, so, and it makes sense when you look at all the characteristics together. And it's kind of hard, uh, maybe for the for the listener, but this information is on my website. So the the right brain's, and they're always complementary. So the right brain is collective oriented. The left brain is individual oriented. Uh, the right brain is outward looking. Uh, the left brain is inward looking, and we know you know analysis goes into things and and looks inside to to try to understand the parts and try to understand the whole from the parts and so and the the left brain is interested in the parts, and the right brain is is interested or, or shows us wholeness uh, uh, the left brain is is gives us a limited perspective because it focuses it uh, whereas the right brain gives us an unlimited uh, view of the reality because it it sees the big picture again they're working together the right brain sees the big picture the left brain fills in the details um, the right brain is uh, sees the generalities and the left brain sees the Specific. So that's just some examples of of uh, the difference in the way they see, and they're they're always complements. But from a left brain perspective, these complements appear as competitive elements because the the left brain is competitive and hierarchical, and so it wants to decide which of these two views is the best and, and which is the worst, and so it may choose the best, which will inevitably be its own perspective and then reject the the other side whereas the right brain which is whole scene actually incorporates the left brain's uh perspective uh the functionally the the left brain nests within the the right brain the which which contains everything you know, it's so interesting because as you speak, I'm thinking about different cultures and time and certainly fundamentalist patriarchies and in the Western world political body in general. It's so obviously um, a, a, 
a tussle, you know, this ongoing battle between these two hemispheres of the brain. The Democratic Party in general, progressives in general, try to include everybody and how to elevate everybody. And the Republican Party is generally busy blaming everybody rather than examining themselves. I mean, even listening to, as an example, John Bonner saying that our president is trying to destroy the Republican Party. And I, I kind of laughed when I read that the other day in the news because I'm thinking, no, I don't think so. Nobody has to do that. They're going to self-destruct themselves because they have such little compassion for women, for the general well-being of the world. You know, this attack on women in particular and the brutality of rape worldwide, I think, is, is a perfect demonstration of a world dominated by the left hemisphere. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the, the left brain is, is our security brain. It's in charge of protecting us, and, uh, whereas the right brain uh, is just living in bliss and love, and and uh, doesn't doesn't give con- doesn't doesn't worry about uh, life and death because it's it's just part of the the cycle. And so, but anyway, the left getting back to the left, which dominates most men, it is it's 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 fearful and it's it's security oriented, and it can never have enough. Whenever it gets, the more it gets, the more it feels threatened, and so it's it it can't see the the end game, and so we really need to have both, and they're they're both valuable. You know, sometimes you know it's it's easy to look at the left brain and and think it's it's bad because certainly when it goes to excesses, it can be very bad and very you know. Aggressive, yes, <laughs> and you know, violent in, in, every, in every sense. Yes, <laughs> yes, it can it can be, but but it's really it's just our the, the brain, the part of us that that can fight if we need to. But then, you know, people you know go beyond that, and they don't need to fight, and they just want to fight, or they're they're greedy. But but it, that that force is there for our protection. So both. And, and we need both perspectives. We need to find some sort of position within, maybe balance, maybe not balance, but some position within those continuum of choices. You know how fearful we, we we need that. We need a little fear. So, but we we go overboard. So we we just get the perfect position is that amount of fear that really protects us, but doesn't get in the way. Of, of our, our love. You know, I was thinking about myself. I became a libertarian after covering, covering body politic for many decades. And I was thinking it's a perfect position of right and left hemisphere because it recognizes boundaries of a republic, but it also, you know, it, it's, it's glorifying the individual in a very respectful fashion. And I was sort of thinking to myself how few libertarians there really are and how the party itself doesn't really have a presence in body politic. So instead we have this ongoing polarization between parties that represent the two hemispheres of our brain. So when when we look at that, you, you have used this word um, brain lateralization. So what does that exactly mean? Well, lateral is horizontal, and we have a left brain and we have a right brain. So that's that. That's kind of all you need to know uh, about that. And uh, the the thing is, you might think they they contribute equally, but you know, as we know, one tends to dominate the other. So 
that kind of creates two and and that so that the dominant side and of course this is this is a variable you can be extremely dominant or very moderately dominant but the dominant side uh, may not listen to the non-dominant side you know the the non-dominant side is is put in a position as a contributor uh, and if your your left brain wants to do something uh, to protect it you know it's willing to go to torture to do it and it can rationalize you know as many ideas as you need in order to convince itself that, that that's what it needs to do do, and, do you think that a person is born with a particular dominance or do you think it's instructed into us science suggests that that, that it we're born that way and and I you know from my own experience I think that's probably true um, you know, I had very, very peaceful, loving parents, and you know, I'm I'm very left brain, which is kind of aggressive, uh, and uh, so so I don't really think they taught me that. I mean, I was raised in a conservative culture, but but I don't any anyway. Between my own experience and, and what science suggests, that, that that is now now how that gets shaped. That's something else. Culture. Mm-hmm. Culture certainly is a profound force, and cultural forces, educational forces, can can overpower uh, the brain's choices. So, you know, I I tend to focus on the effect the brain has on our decisions, but culture has an equally or 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 more or less more or less equal. Uh, effect on our decisions. Well, because when you think about, as an example, most First Nations communities, First Peoples societies, indigenous peoples around the world, tribal peoples, they tend to be predominantly right hemisphere in the sense of their love of the earth and their realizing all is connected. And yet they also use the left hemisphere, will fight for territory, will do what they have to do to protect their children and their own. But at the same time, there's still this overarching right hemisphere dominance. So is that to say that we incarnate? I mean, I'm starting to think a little bit out the box of what you've written about, but it almost makes it seem like the soul incarnates into a particular opportunity for a particular kind of experience, but that we are supposed to grow in order to balance both of these hemispheres of our brain, the two parts of our soul, our male and our female. Yes, that's you. You put it very eloquently. That I think that's that's exactly what I think. That we we probably do uh, have we have this starting point uh, that that guides us in a direction and gives us the tools we need to accomplish the the goals we need. I, I needed to be have the brain I have in order to to write this work. You know, that, that's really been my life work uh, and. It's it's been you know you need the details because I'm writing to a detailed uh, to an audience that is very detail oriented and very skeptical so it's very important for me to to get the details right and yet you know I also I didn't mention it but I also have a a strong my second most out of the four thinking brains the the two sides of the uh, limbic system and the two sides of the cortex. Out of those four, my second strongest is the uh, the right side of the of the cortex, and so so I'm 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 dominated by the left side. It's my default thinking side. You know, I, I naturally tend to think from the left brain side, 
that I can go into the right side just like anybody can. And in this case, my my right side is pretty strong. Uh, it's 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 almost as strong, it seems, as my left side, but my left side is definitely dominant. And so there are all these mixtures, and then culture goes in there and, and, and throws its own influences on the brain. So it, it makes us very complex beings, and, and it's very difficult to study. And, and, uh, you just kinda, and, and I'm just kind of able to see the, the larger elements of this structure, and, and that's what I'm trying to pass on to give everybody a good framework uh, from which to make their own discoveries. Well, and it's, it's such a beautiful book because it really looks at the ancient wisdom traditions and really how every religion, even the most fundamentalist, have within it a beautiful esoteric teaching of going within, of know thyself. And that requires a really rigorous application of the right hemisphere. But then to bring it into the world and to apply it, you have to go out of yourself, out to other, and use the left hemisphere. So it's interesting to me how right now we are, as the Maya culture and others have said, at this flowering time period when all the traditions of the world are commingling, and we're having this opportunity to integrate, as we see even in the quantum physics lab, science and mysticism, which are really the two hemispheres of the brain. So I just think you've opened up another way of approaching our our cultural challenges and our personal lacks into into such a sort of scientific methodology that it's not personal in that I hurt you, you hurt me kind of language. It's, oh, okay, well, maybe I need to have more art in my life in order to cultivate my right hemisphere. Maybe I need to go study mathematics as a child to cultivate the left hemisphere. And so it makes me think really heartily about the Greek culture, which was so insistent on art as well as geography and trying to balance the person into both the creative side and the scientific side. So when we come back, we'll take a look at some of the other things you've examined with this two parts of our brain approach to our culture. And uh, I just think you've done a great job. You can go to www.thewholebrainpath.com. Hello, I'm Catherine Ravenwood, author of How to Create Sacred Water, A Guide to Rituals and Practices, published by Inner Tradition, Bear and Company. You are listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. I hope you enjoy the show and all of her wonderful guests. Please read my book and send your prayers to the water. Thank you, water, for your gift of life. I see you clean and restored. If all of us could just say I love you to the water every day when we drink it, when we use it to bathe, when we watch it flow down the stream... Our guest this hour, if you're just joining us, is James Olson. His book, The Whole Brain Path to Peace, The Role of Left and Right Brain Dominance in the Polarization and Reunification of America. It's an Origin Press 2011 release. You can learn more at his website, thewholebrainpath.com. So I want to come back to really these sort of strengths and weaknesses or how a culture can be dominated by one of the hemispheres of the brain and pay a really heavy price. So I think it's pretty obvious that the Western culture right now is in a battle between the left hemisphere, which makes war, is aggressive, is tends to be selfish, 
blames everybody but itself. And this is I'm speaking for all of us, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just Republicans and Democrats. All of us have these qualities within ourselves. versus, again, the progressive Democratic Party tends to be more open to looking at the whole at looking at those with the least of making sure the earth is stewarded properly, that everything is not here as a commodity to exploit. Now, James, you have examined some of the policymaking that's been going on in this country, particularly the drug war, which, as you and I both know, it's not about drugs. It's about control. So talk to us a little bit about what you discover when you applied this left brain dominance in our culture to what is called a misnomer, by the way, the drug war. Well, the way I approached the chapter in my book was to try to explain the drug war from a right-brain holistic perspective. And I I did this because we've we've never had a national discussion about the drug war, and, and I think we, we haven't because the, the side that's in power knows they would lose if we looked at all the damage that the war is being done. So so I set out to, to say some of the things and point out some of the things that, that you don't normally see when you read the paper or or watch the news or even even listen to gossip. Uh, and of course that depends on who your friends are, but uh, so so I took the big picture is made up a lot of, of a lot of details. So I took a lot of details from the drug war about how it affects our, our culture, um, and, and tried to, sh- to try to show how, the, how the, the drug war is affecting the culture, and that, that's what the, the right brain perspective is, is the big picture. How does it, not just how the drug war affects you or me, uh, but how it affects our culture. And a lot of people are just looking at how it affects you or me. Law enforcement, in many cases, are just looking at how it affects them, you know, what, what it does for them and how it, maybe if it helps employ them or makes their job easier. So they tend to make the decision. The left brain tends to focus in on one or two elements. And so if you just look at, at, at the damage that drugs have done, you can conclude that this is, this is a bad thing and someone needs to do something about it. We need to stop drugs. But when you look at the bigger picture, you see that, uh, well, we've had that attitude for 20, 30 years, and we, we've been uh, putting, we've filled our prisons with people, and uh, we, we've killed many people, and we have accomplished nothing. So it's, it's not, so war isn't really the, the answer, and I tried to show that in, in, my, in my chapter about how, how many different ways it threatened our culture and threatened us as individuals. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that anybody who pays attention knows we are the largest imprisoners on the planet without having the largest population. And it's now one in a 100 people in America go to prison, most of it for the use of drugs, but not just any kind of drug, but the drug that the government has said you can't use, even if it's less harmful than the psychological or psychotropic drugs that they give out at the doctor's offices. I mean, yes, and, that, and I think that's because of hemp. Uh, when you look back at, at how this all started to unfold, at least with cannabis, and cannabis is the, the drug that is is most often uh, used illegally, and and uh, and, and it's 
when you look at it, it's it's not all that dangerous compared with the other drugs we use. But for some reason, it's landed number one on the schedule of most dangerous drugs. They're they're you know, according to the government, there is no drug more dangerous than cannabis. And you, you've got to wonder why is this? This really doesn't make sense. It doesn't even correspond with the government's own research, you know. And in fact, it's it's in blatant conflict with the government's own research in, into drugs. So, and the answer seems to be that back in uh, in the eighteen in the eighteen hundreds, uh, there was a time when uh, hemp processing machinery was uh, being perfected and the farmers around the nation would have been able to harvest uh, tens of thousands or millions of acres of hemp and use the the fibers of the hemp product, uh, which is the cannabis. You know, we think of cannabis, that's, we think of the flowers, that's the drug part. But there's a big plant below those flowers, and, and it contains some very valuable fibers. And this crust, and at the time this machinery was being developed, uh, the plastics industry was brand new, and and hemp can be used to replace plastics. And uh, the, the the newspapers that control had large control over the news. They owned vast uh, forests of timber in order to uh, supply their their newsprint as cheaply as possible. And so, and there were big banks that uh, had big mortgages on on big timber acreages and. All these people stood to uh, to maybe go bankrupt if hemp became uh, available. And uh, how do you stop that? Well, if you can't grow it for medicine, if it's such a dangerous drug as they have uh, decided that it is, then it's not safe to to allow it to be grown as as a as a uh, agricultural product. And it still isn't. They they still won't allow us to grow agricultural hemp, even though it has nothing to do with the drug war. And you could breed hemp. You could, you could provide people with seeds that would not would flower. The flowers would be so weak, no one would want to to uh, to try to use it as a drug. So, it, but then that the law enforcement says that's confusing because they don't know which plants which. So, you know, the upshot is you can't. Uh, uh, Produce a very valuable crop, hemp, uh, because of, of, the, of the, the drug law. Well, you know, and, and the idiocy of it. I mean, all of the research on cannabis for medicinal purposes has shown whether it's good for arthritis or digestive illness. There are many people around the planet for centuries who have been using cannabis medicinally. And in terms of its recreational uses, alcohol produces far more um, problems, not only for the healthcare system, but for violent incidences that require police action. And yet alcohol not only is legal, but it's promoted and it's advertised. And, and so it's really a selection by, as you point out, private interest, the prison industry, the, the black budget of the government. And it's really time that this nation mature and either decide that all these kid killers who go around with their little muscle guns, most of them, if not all of them, are on psychiatric drugs. They're not smoking marijuana in their car and going out and grabbing a gun and killing a bunch of people. They're on mind-altering drugs that we know in children cause mania, psychosis, 
self-inflicted violence and thoughts of violence towards others. But nobody talks about that. Now they're just focused on guns. But what about all the drugs these people are using that make them so violent? So as I used to say, when Nancy Reagan used to say, just say no to drugs, I used to say, just say no to some drugs, which really would have been a more true picture of the reality of our government's war on the citizens of the states. And that's really what it is. It's the federal government. It's the longest civil war in world history of the federal government at war against the citizens of the states. And, and I have been a longtime advocate for the decriminalization of all substances that are natural to the earth. And if they really care about personal health and improving people's ability to make choices, then education, treatment centers, we don't have treatment centers adequate to treat any kind of addictions in this country. So anyway, I, I'm just so glad that you approached this from a really clinical perspective of what is driving this this ideology that is destroying families, destroying the community, and making the prison industry one of the biggest growth industries in our nation. That's a disgrace as far as I'm concerned. Oh, it is. It absolutely is. Uh, in, in Oklahoma, they have prisoned three times as many women per capita as Russia. Three times, and Russia is number two on the planet. That That's a big difference, three times as many it's as extraordinary. the Well, look, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, let's talk about some of the solutions, because I don't think most people in the audience want us to be in a civil war that's never called what it is. And I don't think most people want the kind of violence we see in the police state we have slowly been developing. And I think most people want to see our nation working together and they want to see both parties able to address the challenges we face both for the planet itself and for our individual communities. And you really do a beautiful job of addressing that. If you've just joined us, our guest is James Olson. Hello, this is Robert Sachs, author of The Ecology of Oneness and many other books on holistic health, spirituality, and conscious dying and death. You can learn more about me and my work at www.ecologyofoneness.com and www.robertsacks.net. Right now, you're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. Because the guests we bring on really uh, speak their mind, tell you the truth, and I think allow us to think about things the mainstream media will never talk about. That's another question I have for you, James, and it's really not in your book, but how would you define the media today? How, how would I define them? Yeah, in terms of left and right hemisphere. Well, it's a kind of a confusing mixture because the, the, the people at the very top are, are very left-brain, many-oriented uh, uh, people. And so as you go down the, the chain, when you get to the people in the field, uh, they tend to be a little more uh, open-minded, because they, they, it, the process of, of gathering the news is, is very perspective and enhancing. It, it's educational. And so the people gathering the news tend to be more liberal. And that's, that's why, the, why we, some people think that there is a, uh, a liberal bias to the news. And I think that that's true. I think it, it, it's just a natural part of the process, relatively speaking. I mean, relatively liberal. And uh, and so it's so it's that that mixture of of that, and of course it varies. You know, if you if you work for for Fox News, you can't be as liberal as you might be, or if you work for a, a liberal station, they might ask for more uh, 
more holistic, more more liberal pieces. So it's it's kind of hard to tell, but it, there's that that dynamic between the the, the it's, it's always comes down to money, and that's very left brain. Now we wanted to, of course, make time for how we can correct our imbalances, whether they're individual or a statewide or a nationwide or worldwide. So what are some of the things we can do personally to cultivate the right hemisphere of our brain, that part of us that's inclusive and open and creative and intuitive? Uh, well, the the traditional solution has always been meditation, and med- we all know that meditation is a, a brilliant tool, and, and I've never heard of anybody that that's ever said anything bad about it, so that's an easy one to suggest. Uh, as I see it, the process of, of calming the, the mind is really calming the left brain, because the left brain is the ego brain, it's the chatter brain, and, and what we're doing in, in meditation, in my uh, humble opinion, is that we shut off the left brain and that that and that allows and that takes us in allows the the peace of the right brain the the, the, the just the beingness of the right brain the knowingness of the right brain to to have have a chance to talk and so that that's a practice i think when you practice that it it builds the connection with with the right brain and 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 gives you access to it, it you take trips into the right brain and you become more comfortable with it. Uh, so that's the main thing that I would say. Uh, and there, there are lots of processes that people have come up with that they say will put you into the right brain. And uh, I haven't tried many of these, but I suspect they're helpful. So I don't have anything bad to say about any of them. But there is one thing I want to point out. If you get into your right brain and you ask it and you ask yourself a left brain question, the left brain's going to answer. So, so an example will job. be, let's say we're meditating on something we want to create and you get a whole picture of, let's say, some sort of new model of something, a, a new instrument, and it sees the whole thing. But then to take it apart, if you ask, how do I make it, the left brain is going to answer. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna start getting to the left brain, and the key is to be able to get back in to the right brain to understand you've come out of the, that you're in the right brain, and you're going into the left brain to look for information to to, to explore and find, and so you come back into your right brain. But what happens to some people? They're born into their left brain, and they don't know about yeah. They don't really understand the right brain. They don't know how to go into the right brain, mm-hmm. and they can't really get into that. And that's kind of where I come in. I, you know, I'm trying to explain the right brain to a left brain culture, mm-hmm. so that they can not be afraid of it, so that they can understand its value and what all it can do for them. And it's, it's many things. It has many perspectives, and and uh, it has its own unique ways of of dealing with problems as compared with the left brain. And so uh, so what we can do is, as a culture, to me, is to understand the right brain because that is the tool. Well, you know, it's so uh, interesting and- because children are naturally right-brained if they're allowed to be. 
But in our culture, we associate artists, as an example, with being immature. We think of children as, as not knowing anything. But in fact, what they're exploring and is this capacity, this dominance of the right brain. And when they're little, they're joyous. They love everything. They're interested in everything. They have all kinds of weird questions and have weird ideas. And people like choke it out of us. I love the way you started in your book. And it's really interesting because I have a new book coming out called The Future of Human Experience. And I begin my book with the same premise, which is I believe we are godlike beings, that we are made in the image of God. And you start out your book in the same way, and and you write that it kind of gets choked out of us. We're not allowed to ask who we are and what we are and what our purpose is. Uh, that's right, um, and it's we're we're it, it's hurting all of us. It's hurting us individually, most of us, and it's hurting our our culture, uh, and we're we're and it's hurting our children and the future generations. We we're so caught up in. And actually, I think we're, we're caught up in details, and we don't look at the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And and my work is very fundamental. It's it's kind of looking at the relationship of the brain and the mind, how this split in the brain affects our our choices, and 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 it's a very profound effect because in 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 effect, we as individuals have two voices that guide us through life. We have the left brain is suggesting certain things, and the right brain is suggesting thir- certain ideas, certain ways of dealing with issues. And, and what makes us unique individuals is how we combine these two very diverse streams of information and integrate them into a solution, in- integrate them into a vision, you know, how we view reality. This is really our first and most fundamental act of creation, and all other acts of creation depend upon this, yet we don't look at this first act of creation. Many of us don't realize that we actually have two perspectives, not one. The one that we have is the one that we combine out of the two, but we don't understand that there's these two perspectives that are guiding us. So we really have three. We have a three-dimensional perspective. We have the left brain's dualistic perspective, the linear perspective, and we it's its linear perspective. And we have the right brain's holistic, multidimensional perspective, really a universe perspective. And we combine that into our unique personal perspective. And and we can shift that. We can shift the the amount of information coming from the left or the right, depending by simply choosing it. Uh, by by you know for for left brain people, for example, and most of us are, we can consciously reach out to the context. When we when we look for the context, that is accessing the right brain because the right brain is is the context brain. It's the relationship brain and it and it wants to show us the relationship between the solution we have and all the, the other people that it will be impacted by this solution and how it might hurt them or how or even how it might help them. Uh, that if we're too focused as a left-brain person, we don't see that context. We don't. We don't look for it. We think, "Aha! We found the perfect solution. This is going to do exactly what I want it to do." But it may not be what you or I want it to do. 
Well, and it's so interesting when you look at the fundamentalism in all three monotheistic traditions of today, which are such blatant patriarchies, that on the one hand, the inner core mystical teachings are very right hemisphere about love thy neighbor, take care of everything, elevate the world, you know, don't do to others what you wouldn't have done unto you. But then the way the religions go about expanding Expressing their power over women and over children is entirely dominatory, extremely shutting down the creative, intuitive side of men and women and children. So it's it's a really interesting complex. I was even thinking as you spoke about all the children who have attention deficit disorder, and I realized these are probably kids who come in really strong, right hemisphere, open-minded, intuitive, integrative, holistic children, and the details isn't their strength. So they have to give them a drug to basically shut the brain down so it can only focus on one thing at another at a a time. And how interesting, because maybe these kids that they're drugging out of their genius are really coming in to give us something new. And we're saying, "Uh uh-uh, it's not important. We need you to do this math problem now. Yeah, I'm going to go back to what you said about about priests and religion. And, you know, it's ironic. I want to point out that that religion seeks to bring us together, and uh, that's what the right brain does. And males tend to be left brain dominant and to see separation and to choose separation as, as a way of achieving, as a solution to problems. And that's why, you know, our religion should be unified uh, if they were real, real, if they were doing what they're supposed to be doing. And if women were, were guiding our religious institutions, but here we have males who are seeking separation uh, in charge of religion, and it's, 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 it's just ironic. It's, it's a, the worst possible uh, choice between, male, between the, the choices between who to, who to choose and who not to. And, and males are, uh, the left brain is into conflict. Let me quickly point out before we we close that that conflict starts in the brain roger sperry won a nobel prize for this discovery this and other discoveries about the difference between the 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 two brains uh in 1981 is the nobel prize for medicine and he he realized that there's really a conflict between the two brains and that's because they they see reality so very differently and it in in truth it's more a conflict from the left side of the brain the left brain is in conflict because the left brain doesn't understand the right brain and this spreads out into society and in my opinion to get the peace uh or peace starts in the brain by bringing harmony to our own brain and to the cultural brain and Again, to do this, we need to understand that these two parts that we're trying to integrate, that we're trying to to uh, put in harmony, if we were trying to put two pieces of any physical puzzle together, we would we would look very carefully at the two pieces to see how they to see their structure, to see how they integrate. But we don't do this with the brain. We just ignore the fact that we have these two different brains guiding us. Beautifully put. Look, we have about a minute. How has this work affected your own life? Well, it's it's given me uh, a greater measure of peace. Uh, I'm still left brain dominant, and my my left brain still wants to fight. But, but uh, there's a part of me that understands that, and and now that that knows uh, the, the how these two different parts of of my of my being are 
trying to work together, and uh, it allows me to see the the divisions within other people. It allows me to to look at some of their arguments and understand. Well, you're right in this aspect, and you're right in in this aspect. And if you would, you know, kind of understand this, maybe the two of you could get together. So it it helps me to to integrate uh, the 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 problems that I face in reality. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. So again, we need arts in the school and meditation. And there are people who have been stressing this for the last 50 years, if not the last 100 years. And I think your work goes a long way to explain why it's so important. I want to encourage everybody in the audience, if you're not going to buy the book, The Whole Brain Path to Peace, go to the website, www.thewholebrainpath.com. And as I said, all of our guests and their work is archived at www.21stcenturyradio.com. And, you know, I, I think, James, you know, for myself, you've made it a lot simpler. From my own Kabbalistic um, training, it's just we're either selfish or selfless, and generally it's somewhere in between. And I realize now, okay, the selfless part is the right hemisphere, and the selfish part is the left hemisphere. So right. if we can bring them together, of course, we can have peace within and then peace in the world. Well, you've just done a beautiful job, and you've enriched my life, and I hope that of our audience. And um, I've passed this on to some peace workers in the world, telling them, boy, this will make a lot of difference. James Olson's the author, The Whole Brain Path to Peace, an Arjun Press 2011 publication. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner. Our engineer is Anita Brockington, and I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus.